Today on Ag News Daily. That market, I was really, you know, cautious towards it, you know, just even a month ago. But the pork cutout values continue to trend higher. Um, our export demand is, is the second highest on record. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, although it is a Monday, I am pretty excited for the weekend already. The weekend? We're only on Monday, Ashton. I know, I know. But down here in Lubbock, um, the, the first weekend in March is typically dedicated to steer sales. A lot of the larger producers down here will have sales basically rolling alternating times all day long. So it's fun to just go out there, get in the pens, look at some calves, eat some um, calf fries. That's, you know, kind of um, a little bit weird, I guess, to some, but I enjoy that aspect of it. So I'm pretty excited. Ashton, what are calf fries? Okay. Now don't, don't get too grossed out just yet, but they're just the testicles just fried up. Um, get them real crispy, and they they're they're great. Um, I guess it's just a southern thing. I don't know. I guess I've only ever really had them in the south, but um, I enjoy them. I think it's fun. We actually call them Rocky Mountain oysters here in the Midwest. So I think folks around these parts eat them as well. I was just giving you crap. I knew what they were. <laughs> oh goodness! See, I didn't want to have to explain myself, and you outed me. I did, but I did it on purpose. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to get you back. That's totally fair, Ashton, but let's hop into some news for today. We're having Naomi Bloom on here in just a little while to talk markets, but until then, Ashton, we've got to talk about some news, and one of the biggest news stories I'm watching, and I think the markets are watching as well, is South American Harvest. I reported last week that Brazil and Argentina were at about 15% of their harvest done, and now we're seeing soy harvest at just 25% complete as of February 15th. So this is still, again, one of the slowest paces we've seen on record since about 2011 crop season. And we're now seeing analysts put out estimates that not only is harvest behind, but we could see a reduction in production as well. About 25% reduction is what some analysts are suggesting. We'll get Naomi Bloom's take on that here in just a little while, Ashton. But as we continue to watch South American harvest, uh, we're also going to be watching their weather going on down there. And they've been having a lot of wet conditions and it's expected, at least in central Brazil, to have some more widespread rain this week, causing even more delays for the soybean harvest and the safrina corn crop. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you kind of kicked things over talking about international issues, because one large issue that we have been talking about is the protest going on in India. And we're starting to see that kind of translate over here in the U.S. because more than 85 groups here in the U.S., including the Family Farm Action Alliance, support farmer protests going on in India. Alliance President Joe Maxwell says that the three new, quote, pro-corporate agriculture laws by the Indian government will lead to further exploitation and economic ruin of that nation's farmers. Maxwell told Brownfield Ag News that the laws would unfairly tilt supply and demand 
And he was quoted as saying, what's going on in India is an example of how the pressure of these global monopolies not only extend pressure on farm prices here in the U.S., but now they're advancing the same tactics, market tactics, onto other farmers around the country of India. Guvindir Singh with the United Sikhs also told Brownfield Ag News that the laws aim to dismantle local markets for India's farmers who make up 65% of their population. And again, he was quoted as saying, we all know that when your supply is limited or when it's artificially limited, your demand will increase. So not only will that adversely impact the farmer, it will adversely impact the consumer. The government's law changes, he says, will have detrimental effects on the 40% of people living in poverty in India who are not able to afford more than one meal a day. So definitely not a, a good situation for those Indian farmers, I would say. And, you know, like Guvindir Singh with the United Sikhs says, definitely not a good thing kind of trickling down to those consumers, which I did not even really um, take into consideration before. Well, Indian farmers, Ashton, might be having some lower prices and some difficulties, but American farmers will not. We just, as of Friday, saw spring crop insurance guarantees set for corn, soybeans, and wheat. These are some of the highest insurance premiums we've seen set since 2014 for corn and 2013 for soybeans. And the numbers now guaranteed by crop insurance, of course, this is dependent on a lot of other factors like your APH, your price protection level, but they're going to be setting at a price point of $4.58 for corn and $11.87 per bushel for soybeans, which is significantly higher, about 70 cents higher for corn compared to 2020 and about $2.70 higher compared for soybeans. So significantly higher prices. We'll talk to Naomi Bloom here coming up in just a bit about what that means for markets but uh, just wanted to throw that piece of news out there, Ashton, in case folks hadn't seen final prices yet for crop insurance. Well, Delaney, the swine market is continuing to have some uncertainties in it because Malaysia has been the latest country to be affected by African swine fever. Malaysia is set to cull 3,000 wild and domestic pigs after an outbreak of African swine fever in wild boar and backyard pigs was found in mid-February. The disease was detected in at least 300 pigs in three different districts after a reported case involving the death of a wild boar last month. This was the first case of African swine fever that's been detected in Malaysia, so they're taking I wouldn't say extreme measures, but definitely some precautions here with the culling of those 3,000 pigs. 22 pigs have already been culled in efforts to curb the outbreak. And again, they're set to cull at least 3,000 domestic and wild boars in that area of the country. But again, we're just seeing these countries kind of reeling, trying to do the best they can to curb African swine fever. And I'm getting a little bit more anxious on whether or not we're going to see it, you know, come here into the U.S. I know a lot of folks are talking about biosecurity measures that are trying to be put in place by pork producers here in America, but just going to have to be something that we are pretty precautious on. Yeah, Ashton, and I've worked with a lot of pork producers here, especially in the state of Iowa, and I know biosecurity is always top of mind for them, especially when we see outbreaks of disease such as African swine fever. So 
Unfortunately, it definitely doesn't seem like a conversation that's going away anytime soon. And another conversation that's not going away anytime soon, Ashton, is stimulus package. Democrats voted and have pushed through the $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package through the House early Saturday, despite fears about the future of a minimum wage increase that was included as part of this measure. This American Rescue Plan, which is the $1.9 trillion uh, layman's name, would authorize another additional round of payments for up to $1,400 per person for most Americans. It doesn't provide any new direct payment to farmers, but there are about $16 billion worth in ag and food subsidy provisions that have been approved by the House Ag Committee. The House passed this bill 219 to 212 at about 2 a.m. on Saturday, Sunday morning, I should say, with only about two Democrats breaking party ranks to oppose the measure. And uh, didn't seem that any, we didn't see any Republicans vote for this measure. So we've now seen it pass the House. It's got to go, of course, to the Senate. And they're also Democratic controlled. So I don't see any reason for this not to pass at this point, Ashton. Well, Delaney, we're coming up just on a year of when, you know, shutdowns began to happen here in America because of the pandemic. And I think a lot of people are, I guess, just over it, to to be completely honest. Um, you know, I think it was Iowa that I read is the first state that has voted or moved to kind of get rid of all of the COVID-19 precautions. And I know that down here in Texas, Governor Abbott is also working to do that. But I think that a lot of people, again, are concerned about that as well, just because, you know, not a whole lot of groups have been vaccinated. They um, are just kind of opposing. So definitely seeing a lot coming from both sides at the moment, but definitely still an interesting topic of discussion, even though we have talked about it so, so much within the past year. I think that, you know, learning the opinions of others and taking that into consideration is definitely something that I have been interested in and will continue to be interested in as time goes on. And hopefully we get out of this pandemic. But Delaney, I just have one other piece of news to talk about today. And it's talking about pineapples, oddly enough. The Taiwan president called on people in Taiwan to eat more pineapples to help farmers last week as Taiwan had been, quote, ambushed by a ban on pineapples by their longtime rival and neighbor. China said on Friday that starting in March, which is today, it would suspend imports of pineapples from, from Taiwan, citing harmful creatures it said could come with the fruit, which would threaten China's own agriculture. So it sounds like it's a, a bit of a tiff right now between Taiwan and China. I think they're both using um, some some pointed language in, you know, citing, you know, why they should support Taiwan and why they shouldn't eat um, Taiwan pineapples. So I, I think it's um, an interesting relationship that we're kind of seeing unfold right now. Yeah, it sounds like we certainly are, Ashton. Certainly are. But I tell you what, I'm all out of news, I think, for today as well, other than talking markets. What do you say, Ashton? We kick things off here in chat markets. markets. Let's do it, Delaney. All right. Well, we saw some red on the screen today, to say the least, but heading into Sunday night into Monday, I thought perhaps we'd see things turn around here as the trade was slightly more positive heading into the overnights. Unfortunately, we didn't see that happen 
didn't see that follow through here into the daytime trading. But finishing up the day today, March corn ended down eight cents to close at five forty-seven and a half. The May down ten cents to close at five thirty-seven and a half. Soybeans today lower as well as the March contract shed twelve and three quarters cents to close at thirteen ninety-two and a half. The May down thirteen and a half to close at thirteen ninety and three quarters. Chicago wheat lower today as well as the March contract shed eleven and a quarter cents to close at six forty-three and three quarters. The May down ten cents to close at six fifty and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the Livestock markets today, weakness in the cattle complex as the April live cattle contract shed $1.02 to close at 118.97 and a half. The June down 92 and a half cents to close at 117.50. And in feeder cattle today, the March contract down $1.47 and a half to close at 137.20. The April down $1.45 to close at 141.12. Lean hogs slightly higher today as the April contract added 57.5 cents to goals at 87.72. The May up 70 cents to goals at 89.57.5. And, and rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. March down six cents today to close at sixteen sixteen. The April down two cents to close at seventeen forty one. Now, Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Naomi Blue. Well, as promised, we are joined by senior market advisor for Total Farm Marketing, Naomi Bloom. Naomi, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been a little while since we've had you on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me too. Naomi, there's certainly no shortage of topics to talk about today. You talk about demand, you look at South American weather, we've got a WASI report coming out next week, we've had acreage numbers thrown out at us now by USDA. Where should we start? (laughs) Great question. Um, Maybe in the short term, uh, take a look at the seasonal tendency of the marketplace to kind of uh, slow down in early March for grains, and we see prices normally have a little bit of a pullback. Uh, the question though this year is because of the bullish demand fundamentals and the bullish supply picture, if we see a setback, how short-lived is it uh, versus other years where sometimes prices slide lower throughout the whole month of March? So this is a very, very different year, as you very well know. Uh, so today's market move lower, a little bit of profit taking from the funds just because we're short-term. You know, those bull markets have to be fed every day, and we're just not getting that big, big exciting news today, but boy, that long-term marketplace is still very friendly. So I think any setback we see here is going to be met with buyers. And I think that those that bullishness is definitely reflected, Naomi, here long-term. You know, we saw insurance numbers come out, and those have been the highest, I think, since about 2013, I want to say. So definitely points to some increased bullishness here long-term. But I want to turn our attention to South America. We got some numbers out today that Again, harvest is just not where it should be for this time of year. Do you think that we're going to start seeing some production issues? Uh, Good question. So what we've been hearing about the Brazil crop is that, yes, it is very slow to get harvested. But as far as soybean production goes, the crop is there. It's just getting it out of the field and onto the boats and overseas. Um, But in Argentina, we've been hearing that the recent heat that they had has really been affecting the crop and the size of the crop, so we're looking for smaller crops there. And with Brazil, because their bean crop is so slow to get harvested, that second crop corn is slow to get planted. And I think I saw this morning that they're between about 35-ish percent planted now for that second crop 
corn, and that's, you know, you got to remember 75% of their total corn production is that second crop corn. So now it's going to be um, pollinating in the hottest part of their summer. So there could be some more production issues on corn. And if that is the case, that's just going to fuel and ignite a, a bigger rally here in the United States, uh, just because the global corn carryout continues to get smaller overall. Yeah, and speaking of the U.S. carryout numbers, we've got another WASI report coming out next week. But March typically isn't a big market mover, Naomi. Are you expecting to see anything exciting on next week's report? You know, we're not expecting to see anything exciting, just like you said. Usually the March report is kind of a, a quieter report. But we'll, what we'll want to see is, of course, uh, keeping an eye on the export demand because our U.S. export pace for sales for corn and beans both is phenomenal. The actual inspection pace, so what's leaving the country for soybeans, um, is is very strong too. So, um, will will the USDA increase export demand? Is what we're going to be watching, and we want to keep an eye on global production numbers also. But you know, the bottom line I think is that the carryout is going to get tight. It's going to get tighter. We're not looking for you know large adjustments from for them to make the carryout you know, extremely tighter than what it's been, but just as long as it's staying smaller, that's supportive to prices overall. Naomi, I'm glad you mentioned export sales too, because last week we saw a pretty lackluster report that pushed the trade lower. Do you think that was just a one-off week or do you think we're starting to see a shift in demand here? Um, I think it was a combination of a one-off week because uh, China has just getting back from all of their New Year's festivities. But it is normal for us to start to see export sales for corn and beans slow down right now this time of year because that South American crop is becoming available. So that's kind of a normal thing to have happen. Um, But if we see any more stronger sales on corn or wheat, that'll be a really fantastic sign of demand. Export inspections came out today for corn, 1.6 million metric tons. So that's really good news because, again, what we have sold on the books is leaving this country on the boats. It's really good news that the demand is there, and um, we're not going to see the USDA all of a sudden say, oh, no, 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 we, we're, we're not exporting this product. No, we, we are exporting this product. So it's, it's a still a very friendly demand story. Naomi, taking a look here at the Dece corn chart, you know, we're, we sat around 468 today to close things up for the day. And we've been having still a nice little rally, uh, nice little tick up here. How high are we going to head here heading into the planting and summer months? Ultimately, my upside target for new crop will be the $5 target. I think that's very possible um, overall. Now, if prices can go higher than $5, quite frankly, that depends on whether the summer is my opinion. Um, but $5 is the upside. We can have a little bit of a pullback here, but we're still in this nice uptrend overall. Um, but again, $5 is the target. If it gets to there, then 520 is the next resistance level, then 550 And then it kind of moves in 50-cent increments after that. But it's all up to Mother Nature as far as how high prices can go this summer. Absolutely. And Naomi, what are your price targets for new crop soybeans? Well, new crop beans have done a phenomenal job of jumping over that uh, $12 hurdle mark. So even today, with a little bit of the setback that we saw in the markets, the November beans finished at 12.19 and a quarter. So we could have a pullback to 12 and still be in this uptrend. Um, 
1250 was near that high price from last week, so I think we'll see a return of that and ultimately $13 for that new crop just to make sure that that crop is planted and the demand is there. And then again, how high we go beyond that, all up to Mother Nature. Naomi, with corn and soybeans both at record high levels that we haven't seen, I think it's like six-year highs, seven-year highs, something like that. What do you think we're going to see this year for the acreage battle? We saw the USDA release their numbers, but I saw you had an interesting article you were quoted in with uh, the Farm Journal talking about the acreage battle that's ensuing. Yeah, it's it's not over yet. That's my take on it. So a lot of people are thinking that maybe even we see higher acre numbers for corn or soybeans than what the USDA is talking about. So the USDA, of course, was saying 92 million acres for corn and 90 million acres for soybeans. But some feel maybe the numbers could be higher than that. If planting goes great, they're going to maybe want to be planting more corn if possible. And the other part to this, too, is that we're very curious to see how the winter wheat is going to come out of um, this season with the recent cold that it has. There's producers who have told us, that if the stands aren't looking good in a few weeks, that they would be more tempted to plant sorghum if they're in Kansas or plant corn instead. So we're keeping an eye on that also. And then it makes you wonder, okay, now with spring wheat, the Minneapolis wheat market, now that canola prices are so high in Canada or in parts of North Dakota, with canola prices being high and with soybean price being high, does the spring wheat acres, um, are we going to lose acres there? So do we need to see the Minneapolis wheat market come up for higher prices as well. So I do think there's going to be a lot of um, dramatic twists and turns. And it's, it's kind of nice in a way because the markets for the past six years had just been so, you know, well, obviously bearish, but we kind of knew what was coming and there wasn't any uh, drama besides COVID. So now this is very exciting to have um, so many questions yet remaining in this crop year and it's only, it's only March. So lots to come. Yeah, and sometimes people probably think it's a little scary. There's a lot more volatility this year, but it just allows us to have more price action and more opportunities to be able to sell at profitable levels. Naomi, with that being said, what where are you at sitting right now uh, for corn and soybeans and wheat as far as percentages sold? For a new crop, I would say most of the producers that I'm working with are about 25 to 30% sold for their new crop, like just actual cash contracts sold because the value there is just tremendous. So as you said earlier, now that we have these great um, crop insurance prices, you know, now people can um, potentially do more forward contracting depending on their guarantee levels with their crop insurance. So that'll be something to be monitoring as well. Um, But, you know, one point to be thinking about with the opportunities that are there is that this is a year where, you know, you can't just rely on on outlook in a sense, because the outlook of course is friendly, um, you have to always be thinking about those lurking black swans because we saw what of course COVID did to us last year. So be thinking of ways to defend the new crop price if you're in a position where maybe you don't want to make a sale because it's potentially so dry in your area. But at the same time, if you've made cash sales recently, um, if we do get a drought this summer, and boy, I just looked at that drought monitor index this morning and it just is way worse than what it was in February of 2012 when we had the horrible drought. So, I mean, there really could be some upside potential as well. So you're going to want to manage the opportunities, manage the risk, and uh, really get current with your marketing and all the different marketing tools available to you because this is going to be a fun ride this year. It certainly is for our grain producing friends, but 
livestock farmers might not be quite as excited if uh, their feed costs are going to continue to go higher here. Naomi, what's your outlook for the live and feeder cattle markets? Well, I am bullish cattle. I am really, really bullish those deferred contracts, just primarily because our exports already are like the best they've ever been. Cumulative beef exports for 2021 are at 325,000 tons. That's up from 252,000 tons a year ago. And that's all pre-COVID from a year ago. So China, Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong continue to be strong buyers. So we've got that export demand there and our domestic demand is growing because even though we've had the COVID shutdowns, a lot of people are able to work at home. So they've still been making money and they've been eating you know, pretty well while they're working at home. But now I think that with the COVID vaccine and if we can just get through this around the world, we're going to see summer festivals come back and we're going to see stronger domestic demand. Uh, so I'm very, very bullish to both feeder cattle and live cattle prices. Um, that, but of course, you hit the nail on the head. The thing to watch is the feed costs or the pasture conditions this summer. So there's, there's some risk there because of the cost for feed. Yeah, I was reading an article the other day, Naomi, that was talking about how usually when economies shut down, you know, we didn't necessarily technically have a recession during COVID, but definitely saw a pullback in the economy. And usually during that time, people eat a lot less protein, you know, beef, pork, they turn to cheaper alternatives. But during COVID, we really didn't see that happen too much. And I was surprised to read that. Yeah, I, I was too, but, you know, we needed that comfort food. <laughs> so <something> like, <laughs> Very true. Like a good beef roast in the crock pot to help out. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Naomi, I assume, I, maybe I shouldn't assume, but I am assuming that your outlook for the lean hog market is pretty similar to beef. Yeah, you know, that market, I was really, you know, cautious towards it, you know, just even a month ago, but... The pork cutout values continue to trend higher. Um, our export demand is, is the second highest on record. Cumulative export sales for 2021 are at 583,000 tons. It is down from a year ago, but still the second highest record. And if you look at the five-year average, it's closer to 376,000. So the demand is there from Mexico and Japan and China. Um, so it still is a friendly market. And with more talk that, Maybe there's another outbreak brewing of African spine fever in China. Maybe we continue to be a top exporter to China in the short term here yet. So it's, to me, it was a little bit more of a surprising marketplace to have such friendly tone. If you look at June hogs, 94.95 is where they settled today. July hogs, 95.12. So clearly the demand is there. Um, what a fantastic market. It's very exciting to watch. And Naomi, give us your quick thoughts here as we wrap up the markets on the dairy markets. We've seen them pull back now about a dollar since they put in some highs, not quite at $19, but pretty darn close. What's your thoughts here short term and long term for the dairy industry? Well, short term, what we're still wanting to see is the demand and looking for another sort of a farm to family food program to come from this new administration. So that's what we're waiting for. So we know that the supply is there. Um, the December milk production report had milk production increase of 3%, just a huge amount. But the most recent report that came out to reflect January had production um, up, but only up 1.6%. So that was more of like a relief to the industry that we've been starting to reduce production because we were pretty much aware that, hey, if we don't get this demand from the government, 
uh, we're going to see lower prices. So the market is responding. And with dairy, I'll tell you, here in Wisconsin, I have already been told that for some of our dairies on the east side of the state where I live, they, they've been told by um, the processing plants around here as far as processing like soybean meal processing, that they can't guarantee them soybean meal for the summer. So we've, we're like kind of out of beans in my part of the state. And so these, I'm concerned for the dairies that they're not going to have the proper feed, the proper nutrition, and we maybe see milk production start to edge a little bit lower. And, of course, if we just don't have the forage and all those types of things, there's um, a production issue potentially coming because of feed or lack of feed or having to do substitutions with their rations. So that's something to be watching there. So that makes me think maybe those deferred contracts will have some support to them. But in the short term, we're just battling overproduction and keeping an eye on um, Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack and hoping he gives us a little bit of um, program love with like some sort of an equivalent of a uh, farm-to-family program. Fantastic. Well, Naomi, before we let you go, if folks want to chat markets with you a little bit more, how can they do so? Yep. Feel free to give me a call at the office. The number is 800 800- Three three four nine seven seven nine, or send me an email, Naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com. Fantastic, Naomi. Well, thank you so much again for chatting markets with us today. Yep. Thank you, Delaney. Appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you to Naomi for coming on and chatting markets today. Always a pleasure to have her on, Ashton. It certainly is Delaney, and we're always having entertaining folks come on and not only talk to us about markets, but talking about all things ag. So folks, be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us on social media while you're at it at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Without Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.